This is the Scottish Football Citizen, bringing you the best of Scottish football from the past. I'm Andy Kerr, and this week we're preparing for the upcoming Fife Narby between Dunfermline Athletic and Wraith Rovers by speaking to fans of both clubs. If the most recent meeting between the teams is anything to go by, we're in for a treat. Before we get started, here's your weekly dose of trivia. True or false? Wraith Rovers have spent more time in the top flight of Scottish football than Dunfermline Athletic since the founding of the SFL in 1890. We'll give you the answer at the end of the podcast. There are several individual derbies in Scottish football that take place between clubs from the Kingdom of Fife. In the lower leagues of Scottish football you can find East Fife, Cowdenbeath and a new addition to the SPFL in the past few months in Kelty Hearts. A former junior club, Kelty won promotion from the Lowland League and now there's a new team on the block who will be looking to make their mark in the Kingdom. However, the Kingdom's two most prominent clubs are Dunfermline Athletic and Wraith Rovers. The Rovers were established in 1883 and quickly became successful in Fife. But they weren't the first team in Fife to have that name. Confusingly, there was a club in Cowdenbeath that were called Wraith Rovers and they merged with Cowdenbeath FC in 1882 to form the present team that are known as the Blue Brazil. Dunfermline Athletic was established in 1885, two years after Wraith Rovers, and the two teams first met in the Scottish Cup in September 1889 in Kirkcaldy. Dunfermline won this first round match 2-1 and made it all the way to the third round of the competition where they held Hibernian to a 4-4 draw at home, but lost 11-1 at Easter Road in the replay. The two teams would go on to establish rivalries with other Fife clubs, but if you ask a Pars fan or a Rovers fan, this is the big derby that they both want to win. Both clubs have had periods of success throughout their history, with Dunfermline enjoying two Scottish Cup wins in the 1960s and Wraith winning the League Cup in 1994, before going on to play Bayern in the UEFA Cup, and even leading the German giants in the Olympiastadion thanks to a Danny Lennon goal. There have been many memorable derbies throughout the years, but possibly none quite as bizarre as the final derby of 2010-11, where both teams were at the top of the first division and aiming for promotion to the SPL. With both sets of fans entering the ground before the match, the Pars mascot Sammy the Tammy walked onto the field in a crudely made tank made of cardboard with Pars to win written on the back, and fired at the Wraith Rovers fans as gunshot noises played over the PA system. The Rovers didn't see the funny side of it, and they went ahead 1-0 early in the game, and looked like they would be heading to the top of the league with only a few games left to play. However, it was the Pars who would have the last laugh as they came from behind to win 2-1 with a double from Martin Harty, and one promotion to the SPL. Both clubs have since endured spells in the third tier of Scottish football, but with Wraith Rovers being promoted from League One at the expense of Falkirk in 2020, the derbies have returned to being a regular staple for fans of both clubs. This season has seen two derbies played already, 
although the first at Starks Park was a big disappointment as floodlight failure saw the match abandoned. The rearranged game saw Wraith Rovers take the lead before Dunfermline got back into the game which ended 1-1. With nobody having claimed any real bragging rights this season so far, will the Rovers assert themselves and cement their place near the top of the table? Or will the Pars kickstart the season with a win after a disappointing start? We'll start with the home team. Lorna Morton is a Dunfermline fan and live reporter for the unofficial Dunfermline Athletic website DAFC.net. I spoke to her about her memories of Derby games against Wraith Rovers. We'll go back to the very start for you. How long have you been a Dunfermline fan for and what's your first memory of supporting them? Um, I've been a fan for 40 years now. Um, I was only 12. It was 1980. My dad took me along to East End Park, um, really to get out from underneath my mother's feet. <laughs> um, my big brother had been going for a few years before then, so I think it was inevitable I was going to end up there at some point on a Saturday afternoon. Um, my first memory was actually just was just noise. I couldn't believe the amount of noise that would be coming because actually I live quite close to East End Park. Um, so I'd always heard noise of like goals getting scored, etc., like the crowd noise. Um, so I wanted to be up close and personal with that. So that was really what met me first was, you know, walking along, there was like um, men and you know, um, boys, you know, like talking about the game on the way there. And then you know, as the closer you got to the stadium, it was just got louder and louder. Um, and then, you know, just having that click clack of the turnstiles and... Um, smelling food getting cooked or, you know, hit up kind of thing. Like, you know, the Brideys obviously were on the go. Um, and it was just, I, I couldn't believe it. My dad took me to the main stand and because um, I wasn't, he, he thought I was too young to be standing on the terrace with my brother and his friends. So I was with my dad and um, it was like, oh, it was just something. That, obviously, I'd never experienced it before. And it was just, it was magical to me like yeah I mean I was only 12 and it was just I was glad I was somewhere with my dad I wanted to know where he went every Saturday and it was it was that I can't remember who we were playing <laughs> um, and I can't remember the score either but it just made a really good impression on me um, and I just thought oh I really want to do this every Saturday you know <laughs> What are your memories of how East End Park looked back then, what it was like, given that I know that the ground has been redeveloped in the 1990s? Yeah. Um, the terracing was obviously something to behold. It was all open to start with, the open terraces. There was no roof on anything. And there used to be a Sunday market there as well, um, at, the, at the top of one of the terraces. And then once the roofs had gone on and... Um, it was just the atmosphere was created by so many people being packed into them. Um, and, you know, when I eventually made it round to the terrace and when I was a wee bit older, it was just great. It was just, it was good fun. And the it wasn't even just the crowd size. It was just, you know, people were excited to be there. And, you know, it was obviously, it was like, um, you know, there were so many opposition fans turning up as well kind of thing. And... To, when you saw it packed out like that, it was just like a, an arena, you know, it was like something out of Greece, <laughs> you know, 
was just in like a long time ago and it was just um you know people look forward to it and again it was it was, it was just the noise and there was people shaking rattles and there was people clapping and you know clapping the team on and then obviously shouting at the ref and things like that and it was just you were cozy as well you were really warm like you know and um it just it, i know obviously I and mean, obviously i know the reason why the, the, the all-seater stadium came in and i completely understand that as well um but the, the memories of being on the terrace and it's, it's something that you just wouldn't forget just wouldn't forget that at all now, both Infernal and Wraith Rovers have several geographical rivals throughout the Kingdom of Fife. Um, you've got East Fife, you've got Cowdenbeath, you've even got Kelty Hearts now that they've been promoted from the Lone League. But what is it that separates this derby between the Pars and the Rovers from these other games? What is it that makes it so special for you? Well, Wraith have always, to me, I think they've always been like the bogey team. Um, they've tripped us up in a few cup games over the years um, and as, as well as, I mean, I know they're obviously not in Fife but Falkirk were always seen as a big derby for us as well because um, we used to just fight it out in the same division all the time um, and Wraith were always someone, a team that we always looked forward to playing and, you know, we still do, we still do it. Um, They've had some. We've had some great players going between both teams over the years as well. So, um, you know, there is a, a, a. I think having it more over East Fife and Cowden Beast. East Fife and Cowden Beast have been really kind of been like the minnows. Um, maybe just because of where they're where they're from. They're just like small towns kind of thing. And East Fife and Methel. Um, and they've always really had a small support and like a small stadium kind of thing. And they've never really, well, apart from County Base, obviously, a few years ago, and they put us out of, they put them out of our misery. Um, but, I mean, I think it was just the, the, the crowd size, etc. cetera. Uh, Race Rovers is just a really good diary match to have. And again, as you're saying, close proximity is just, is just a great thing. Going to Starks Park is fantastic. I love going to Starks Park. Um, but East Fife, obviously, now coming up through the ranks, you know, they're, they've done so well in, this, in the seasons and um, are doing really well just now as well. Kelty Hearts, um, well, from a family point of view, my family are actually from Kelty, uh, so I've got a bit of an inkling for them as well. They Obviously, they've done really well since they've come up from the junior side of things. Um, but uh, And I'm looking forward to... Um, seeing them, well, I've been going to a few matches like um, just over the summer times kind of thing, like you know, when they were they were still sort of before they'd got up um, this season. But um, no, Wraith Overs is, is probably the, the great big derby match that everybody really looks forward to. Just on that as an aside, if, uh, say, the Pars were drawn against Kelty in the <laughs> Scottish Cup, would you find yourself torn between who to support or would it be an easy <laughs> option? No, I would. It would be the parse for me every time. Um, I would feel sorry for Kelly, <laughs> but <laughs> no. Um, it's it's to be honest. It's, I know there's there's a couple of players obviously that used to play for the parse that are in uh, Kelly now, like no. But um, it's not the same team as they were when they were down in the junior leagues as well. But um, the the club are going from strength to strength. The, you know, the the whole place itself has just been fantastic for Kelly. I'm really tough for them. Really proud of them as well. But um, no, it'll always be done firm when it comes first for me. 
Now, sticking with the Wraith Rovers derby there, what are your first memories of the derby as in going to the derby? Um, well, actually, I don't really have a good memory for, for derbies, really, for Wraith Rovers. However, there was the one a few years ago when um, Martin Hardy scored the 2 1 free, the free kick at East End Park. It went into the, the legend books, as it were, like, you know. Um, it was just a fantastic day. It was a massive crowd. Um, our our uh, mascot, Sammy the Tammy, came out in a cardboard tank <laughs> to fire at the away supporters. <laughs> and everything. It was just the, the build-up for the game itself had just been over like a couple of weeks kind of thing. Like, you know, and it was just, oh, it was just amazing. Um, so that was the, the like, the... That was one that really sticks out in my mind, um, and there was a there was even a DVD made of that game as well <laughs> because because of Martin Hardy, like you know, um, and when we had gone on the next week to uh, Morton, the Morton game was just long after then, and that's when we, that's where we won the first division uh, title there. Everybody was wearing all the fat supporters were actually wearing Martin Hardy masks. <laughs> because of that free kick that he scored against Rovers, you know, so it was just it was a brilliant game, it was a really brilliant derby. Those, I suppose, are just the memories that you you really want and you you live for as a football yeah. supporter. When they come around, it's great, and oh. then when you don't have them, that's you, you. You just think back, well, we had that once. How good would it be to have it again? Yeah. You, met, you mentioned the man they know as Big Mad Mental, um, which I think <laughs> is a very apt nickname for him. Um, are there any memorable big game players, maybe apart from Martin Hardy, um, that you loved having in your team when a derby day against the Rovers came around? Um, I don't actually, I'm trying to think about, apart from Martin, I don't know, um, I can't remember really the players for in the Rovers derbies, but some of the big name players that I do remember having in our team, which um, I really wish we had them again, was Isfan Cosma, um, Ian Ferguson, because he had come from Rangers to us, and also Alan McGregor. Um, our goalkeeper, who was Rangers keeper at the time as well, you know, um, they played such massive parts for us in, in our games that we had. There was so much experience they all had. Um, and they just made, you know, made going to the football worthwhile, you know, and having having those, those especially Cosma, he was just fantastic, like, you know, and um, I know a lot of fans so keep in touch with him now still as well, you know. Sure. And on the flip side of that, are there any opposition players who played for the Rovers who you love to hate, or maybe not love to hate, maybe who you <laughs> reserved, uh, who you reserved a wee bit of uh, of bile for come Derby Day? <laughs> well, there's just people that are recently actually. Um, someone unfortunately who was getting injured quite a lot was the young guy uh, Lewis Vaughan, um, really talented player. Um, you would outrun any player at all, you know, just, just a fantastic player. And it's really sad that he was constantly getting injured. Um, and obviously in our the last game, just a few weeks ago, um, Tumulty was, was playing as well, and he was just absolutely brilliant. But also Nat Wedderburn. I mean, Nat Wedderburn played for us for a while, and then he went to the Rovers. And he, he was absolutely brilliant there, because he's a, a really, I know I probably should say that, Hate them, but I don't really didn't really hate them as such, like no. Um, but you always knew there was going to be a good game because those players were involved. 
Um, and you knew it would be hard to get around them as well. Um, so really, those those three players for Rovers, I think they really stick out in my mind. What was the last Fife derby between Dunfermline and Wraith, or Wraith and Dunfermline that you attended? Uh, it was a one two weeks ago. It was the replay, um, but it ended up one one because the the first one was um, came to a very abrupt ending when the floodlights went out at Starks Park. So um, we had a replay just a couple of weeks ago, and it was one one. Yeah. Now, given the up and down nature of both clubs, for example, you've both spent time in the third tier of Scottish football within the past decade or so, Rovers more recently than the Pars. Um, do you prefer having the guaranteed derby matches every year or do you find that when you're not in the same league and the derbies come around, they've got a wee bit of heightened importance, a wee bit more special? No, I, I like us being in the same league. I was I was so glad that actually Rovers had come up this season because um, the or the season before, um, it was just it was something to relish, something to look forward to, and there's always a really good atmosphere, and there's always you know that impending like what's going to happen kind of thing, and you know they they beat us you know just not that long ago five one they absolutely trounced us five one like a few months ago. Um, so it was just seeing what was capable of them now, you know, and John McGinn's a great manager um, and they've got a really good team and obviously some former Hearts players are playing for them now as well. Um, but no, it was it's good to have them in the same division. I like that. I like a guaranteed derby. Um, that that would just be uh, a good point. I think every, every season would be great if there was a derby in it, yeah. Now, one last thing before we finish up. Um, I mentioned at the start that you're the live update reporter for DAFC.net. Um, how do you view um, going to games now and reporting on them differently from when you started out going to football when you were just a fan? Um, it's it's completely different, actually, because you tend not to watch the match as such. It's, um, I think I, I, I type things in like minute by minute. And uh, it's just like type, I just type in the whole game right from the start, and it's I think I'm too busy watching like who's coming on and what the formation is and what this um, who scored is who's taking the corner. <laughs> I'm taking down so many stats that I'm actually not really watching the game as such, like from a from a supporter point of view. Um, sometimes I have to watch my p's and q's because I find myself shouting. <laughs> times and then remembering where I'm sitting um, but no it's a it's a completely different take on the match and I've actually learned so much more and people other people like supporters um, not just my own fans but the um, away fans as well you can describe to me how things can be better said and you know how to describe something better kind of thing and it's great to take that on board um, as well so it's 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 a really good time. It's a really it's really good fun. I mean, I love it. I absolutely love it. I've been doing it for twelve years now, and I absolutely love it. And just learning so much all the time. Um, it's great. I would I would definitely encourage other people to come forward and do it for their clubs because it's it's really good fun. Um, it's not the same as watching as if you're a fan, but it's as I say, you're just learning so much from it. And you see much, I think you actually see things a lot clearer as well. 
I mean, everybody has a different angle on the game, wherever you're sitting and standing in a, in a stadium kind of thing. And, um, you know, you see a curve of a ball that maybe someone up the other end doesn't see kind of thing, or you maybe see a push or a shove off the, off, you know, when the camera's only watching kind of thing, you know. Um, but no, I really enjoy it. It's really good. And one last thing, how did you get involved in uh, the live reporting? What made you decide to go for it yourself? It was um, the owner of the website of .NET. He had actually approached me and said, you know, um, there are people been doing it long before I had. And I had been reading them for years as well. And they were really informal and really funny and everything. Um, and also my former uh, former boyfriend, had um, he had done the updates for the Manchester United testimonial um, for Scott Thompson, our former captain. And he had said to me, you know, you can type, you type for a living kind of thing. And you know, you you know, obviously normally you just listen to things as an audio typist. Instead of listening, and you know, can you do listening but watching it at the same time? So I just had a go at it, and it was a friendly or something. That I did the first one, um, and I just really enjoyed it. And I just thought it was just something different to do. And I thought, well, that, that was a transferable skill, you know, from a secretary days. Um, so that's really how it got started in it and doing it. So yeah. Um, I'll never look back. It was absolutely, it's been absolute, it's an absolute privilege to do it as well. And the fans, like Paris fans, not just obviously home fans read them, but opposition fans read them as well. Um, but I just, yeah, it's a great thing to get into. It's, it's, it's completely voluntary. I mean, I'm not getting paid for it or anything like that. And it's, you know, it's um, it's good fun. You know, it's it's really good. And I'm glad I, I'm glad I was asked to do it. Thanks to Lorna for speaking to us. We now move on to the away team and speak to John Lipster, a football historian and Wraith Rovers fan who is very familiar with the Rovers' past. John has written many books on football and also his beloved Rovers, so let's hear from him. We'll take things back to the very beginning then. How long have you been a Wraith Rovers fan for and what's your first memory of supporting them? Uh, well, I mean, it's in the blood, uh, uh, being a supporter of the club. I'm, I'm fourth generation. Uh, my my great-grandfather followed them in the Robbie's Park days, and uh, uh, as I say, it's just followed down uh, through the generations. Uh, my first my first memory was was um, uh, listening to my grandfather. He, he was a dyed-in-the-wool Rovers fan. And uh, listening to him going on about the Rovers, and uh, uh, in 1963, uh, I was taken to my first match. So the first, the first firm memory is the first game that I went to in October 1963 against Aloha Athletic. Uh, the team were at a particularly low spot in their uh, in their history, but um, I'm afraid it's been uh, it's been Rovers ever since. And what are your memories of how Starks Park looked back then compared to now? Well, my memories of that day was was how dark it was. Uh, I, I think it was just after the clocks had changed and the floodlights would have been on. And of course, this this to, to a, a young boy, flood floodlit football was a new uh, uh, a, a new thing. Um, so, uh, so, so that was that was the first impression. So, Starts parts obviously. There are there are three new stands uh, have been built, so it's it was obviously considerably different 
uh, from what it was back in 1963. But the main stand's still there. One side of the ground still looks pretty much the same. And of course, the footprint of the ground hasn't hasn't changed either. Um, but until until the new stands were built in the uh, in the early 90s, the ground the ground changed very little over the years. Now, both Dunfermline Race Rovers have got several other clubs that are nearby to them, like East Fife, Cowdenbeath, and now you've also got Kelty Hearts who have been promoted from the Lowland League. Now they're in League Two in the SPFL. But what is it that separates this particular derby between Wraith Rovers and Dunfermline from all these other mini derbies that you have? Well, historically, the Rovers have sort of flitted between the various clubs where derbies were concerned. In the 19th century, the big the big um, rival was Cowdenbeath. Um, uh, it, it, the uh, travel, of course, was greatly restricted in these days, so there was very little interaction between Central Fife and West Fife when it came to football. So Cowdenbeath was were the big rivals. And then along came East Fife in the 20th century. And, uh, and the classic derby for people of um, the next generation up from me was was uh, was East Fife, particularly during the 40s and 50s, when both clubs had had good teams. Dunfermline didn't really come into uh, come on the radar until uh, Jock Steen became their manager, uh, and uh, it, it, that coincided with a, a time of uh, an absolute collapse in the Rovers' fortunes. There'd been 13 years in the top division. In the course of which Dunfermline had stayed fairly rooted in the in, in the second division. Um, so 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 derby matches against Dunfermline only appeared uh, in the late fifties, uh, and and then on. And from the from uh, from my generation of uh, Rovers uh, of race Rovers supporters, Dunfermline is the derby um, because they've been closest to us in terms of status. They have invariably been higher up the league than us, winning trophies and playing in Europe and things like that. Um, so there's the uh, there's the uh, apart from the, the the local rivalry, there's the um, little bit of jealousy, you know, regarding their uh, comparative success. Um, so that so 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 from the early sixties onwards, the big derby was was the Dunfermline match. And and I, and I would imagine that will probably carry on, just uh, you know, unless there is a dramatic uh, improvement in the fortunes of uh, the likes of East Fife or Cowdenbeath. But the, in the fullness of time, of course, they are now being constrained as to how far they can go because of the the, the ground situation. Whereas the Rovers and Dunfermline have got the you know the, the capacity for the for the larger attendances, presumably. Uh, greater economic success. And how do you feel about um, a club like Kelty, just um, who obviously were a junior club, have worked their way up through the loan league, and now they've come in um, with serious aspirations of climbing up the leagues? And my feelings not so much for Kelty. I mean, they're perfectly entitled to um, um, do what they've done, which is basically uh, invest in uh, moving through uh, the lower leagues. Now that there is a pyramid. My concern is for the other five teams. There's now five five league clubs in five. Um, that's too many for the population. 
and a, and a fear for the clubs that are going to be caught up. If Celtic continue to sustain this success, there's going there's going to be ramifications for other uh, uh, for other clubs. I know the day of the neutral fan flitting between, well, not so much the neutral fan, but I, the, the days of you um, going to a local football match every Saturday, which meant that and, and got, uh, when East Fife had a good team, uh, my father and my grandfather and their generation wouldn't necessarily travel very far to see the Rovers on, an, on, a, on a Saturday for an away match, but they'd go up to Methel to see the football there. Um, you can't do that anymore. But if there's five teams, <laughs> somebody's somebody's going to lose out. I mean, I know that's probably not a major issue these days, but um, you have to wonder if a, a, a county with the population of five can sustain um, five five league clubs. So, so I, I don't I don't have particularly strong feelings regarding Celtic. It's the other clubs I'm a wee bit worried about. Uh, going back to the Dunfermline versus Wraith Derby or Wraith versus Dunfermline, uh, what are your first memories of the Derby of going to the Derby? Well, my, my, my first my first memory or the strongest memory I have is of actually the second match that I saw. The, the first match was the opening league game of 1967-68 season. Now the Rovers had just got back into the first division after three years. Uh, in the second division, and the first two of these were a real struggle. Uh, they were they were extremely unsuccessful. Um, I've actually got my arithmetic wrong. It was four years that, that, that they were uh, in the second division. So uh, it was back in the big time um, for uh, the uh, uh, with Dunfermline turning up for the local derby because the fixture, the way the fixtures went. Uh, they, they were a mirror image of the second half of the season which started on the 1st of January. So you tended to open with a local derby and it was Dunfermline. And it was a very good team. They had just nicked our manager, George Farm, and he'd inherited an excellent team from Willie Cunningham and before that, Jock Steen. Uh, and uh, the, the, uh, we were beaten 2-1 and it was sort of two going on, six, seven or eight, really. We were completely outclassed. Uh, and that was a lesson that the team took um, yeah, a couple of months to assimilate because they were, they were going to have to up their game in the higher, the higher division. They did, they did eventually escape relegation after looking a stick on for relegation for much of the season. But that was thanks to Gordon Wallace scoring all the goals in the second half of the season and becoming the Scottish Player of the Year. But the strongest memory I have is of the second game, which was New Year's Day at East End Park, the return fixture. And it was one of these horrible days where you know everything is going to go wrong. It was it was a dark, cold day. Um, the Rovers had just sold Ian Porterfield, their, their star midfield player, uh, to Sunderland. And... Um, the result didn't help the mood. Uh, we could beat six nothing, uh, and um, that was my first visit to East End Park. Uh, and then the snow came on halfway through the match just to complete the misery. It was really just one of these days. And in, f and in fairness to the club, 
Um, that that was that was a month after they lost ten two at Ibrox, um, which was not an easy result for somebody like me going to school in Glasgow uh, with uh, a school full of Rangers supporters. Um, but but after that, um, Willie Poland came back up from a broken leg, and uh, the team and Wallace started scoring goals, and it, it was almost a wake up call. Um, at the uh, East End Park, the heavy defeat. So that, that's the two strongest memories of of of, of the early games. What derby matches stick out for you in particular from over the years? You've mentioned the first two derbies that you went to. Um, any ones that are uh, slightly happier memories or um, better results for the Rovers? Well, there have been many. In that, thankfully, in that, cate- uh, that category, the the, the uh, we played Dunfermline six times, home and away, uh, um, in the three seasons we were up um, before before we were cast into an extremely long oblivion after uh, when we were relegated in sixty nine seventy, and there was one draw, it was five defeats and one draw, so that wasn't a good time. But um, shortly after that, because Dunfermline went on quite a steep, in fact, a very steep downward um, uh, decline, um, arguably steeper than the Rovers at that time. Uh, and we caught them at the right time in a Scottish Cup tie, although they, they, I, think, I think it was the season they were relegated, but it was first division against second division. George Farm had just come back as manager, um, having been sacked by Dunfermline. And uh, we played them in a Scottish Cup tie, and uh, Malcolm Robertson um, blossomed that uh, on that afternoon, and really came onto the scene as a major player for the Rovers. And we beat we, we beat them two nothing. Um, the other memories there was um, April the last the last match of eighty eighty one. Was a fairly routine one-nil um, victory for the Rovers, and it was quite poignant in some respects. We had completely blown prom- promotion that season at Christmas. We were miles ahead at the top of the league, and um, um, we thought we were going to finally going to get a return to the to, uh, to the top division. Of course, that would have been the ten club Premier Division at, at that time. But the team had peaked far too early. There was two strong um, sides in Hibs and Dundee um, who eventually caught, caught us up, overtook us and, and got the, the first two um, uh, the first two positions. So so the, the, the last game of the season at Dunfermline was a bit of an anti-climax, but it did actually mark the last ever appearance for the club uh, of Murray McDermott, the goalkeeper. He was a marvellous goalkeeper and a great servant to the club. Unfortunately, uh, Murray's last game for the club, he, he left the field in a stretcher just before half-time. He got, uh, he got quite a bad injury then. Uh, and then um, um, was caught up in a signing dispute with him at the start of the, uh, the following season. And Frank Connor signed him for Berwick Rangers after that. And that was the end of Murray. Uh, and he, I mean, he played forever. He would have smashed every appearance record at the club if he'd if he'd carried on his career at Starts Park. It was, a, it was a great shame, in many respects, in the circumstances in which he, he, he left. But that that's a that's a strong memory uh, of, of that match. 
Um, the the one after that was um, the uh, New Year's Day, nineteen eighty three, and I was living down in Norwich at that time, and left at about four in the morning <laughs> to drive north uh, to see to see the to see the, to, to come back to Kirkcaldy and see the local derby, which we won six nothing. Um, so that was a little bit of revenge for um, for New Year's Day, 19, 1968. Both teams um, um, stuck in the, I think we were in the middle division, but going down at that point. Uh, not, not, not a good time for, uh, for either club. There was a great game in March uh, 1989. Uh, the film, I think, were going for promotion, might actually have won it. And uh, an absolutely terrific game, which the Rovers won one nothing, typically with a Gordon DL goal. Um, Cammy Fraser um, was playing at the back for the Rovers, and Paul Sweeney um, was uh, was playing in midfield. And Fraser just made sure Sweeney got plenty of the ball that day, and the Rovers played really well. The travelling support were in the best voice that anybody's ever heard, the race rover support. It was just one of these great, uh, great days. And uh, I remember I, one of my neighbours was the um, uh, was the director of education for Fife. And uh, his son told me, he said, after the match, we're walking down Holbeath Road back to the car. And his son said to the director of education, by God, Dad, you really enjoyed that today's. Just, everybody was shout, shouting and bawling. It was just a, just a, just a great atmosphere. Um, so these are the, the, these are the, most, uh, the, the most memorable matches. Yeah. Are there any <laughs> big game players uh, that you loved having in your team when it came to the derbies? Well, they... That that the last match that I was describing was certainly one of them. You know, uh, uh, Cammy uh, Fraser, Fraser Sweeney and DL were the sort of main main men in the team at that point, and they they certainly combined to 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 get the get the result that day. The, the, the other another important game sort of brings up on your point about big big game players and. We played we played Dunfermline on the 11th of January 1995. Rovers had won the League Cup that season, but they'd had a very disappointing start to the league. We had a dis disaffected manager who had not been allowed by the board of directors to um, speak to Kilmarnock um, about moving to, to, to manage them. Uh, he having just signed a, a contract with the club uh, and uh, the team got off to an extremely slow start to the season won the league cup and then um, obviously the the important thing was to get try, was to get back into the premier division they'd just been relegated um, after finally getting in the uh, the, the, the premier league um and they went on a run of very good results at the start of the the season uh, and the first of these was a midweek match, a rearranged game at Dunfermline on a bone-hard pitch. And Ali Graham scored with a header, 1-1-0. And that was the start of a 12-game unbeaten run, which eventually took them to promotion. 
But Ali the, the Ali Graham um, um, mention is, a, is an important one because one of the features of that Race Rovers team, I mean, it had the great young players in it, um, uh, Dare, uh, Cameron and Crawford, the last two went, went to play a lot, many times for Scotland. But there was also some really good pros in the team and that season they they played their best foot, the best football of their careers. There were three or four players who had their best ever season that season, and Ali Graham was one of them. Uh, Ali was just was a big target man, um, probably most comfortable with his back to the goal, link, linking up play. But he 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 had the best season of his career that day, and he, the the sort of highlight of it was was him scoring the winner with a header uh, at Dunfermline. Now, on the flip side of the same coin, who are the opposition players that you maybe enjoyed getting a wee dig in at or reserved a bit of vitriol for? Well, I'm not so much about the digger. Well, <laughs> the, the the digger, the vitriol. Uh, the I mean, we were very jealous of Dunfermline's success in the in in the early eighties. Um, uh, Jim Jim Leishman was 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 quite a publicist, and you know. I mean, you read a lo- you read the local newspaper. You switched on your television, and it was all about the family. That was hard for the Rovers to take. We were then struggling to get to get out of the. Uh, they hadn't been in the top division of Scottish football since 1970, and we were well into the second decade, and it was all getting a little bit too much. So there was a little bit of um, if uh, if uh, John Watson or um, uh, people like that tripped tripped on the ball. Uh, during a derby match, that was that was quite uh, pleasant to watch. Um, my memories of the, the of other players, uh, the one that sticks in my mind from the first season, sixty seven eight, was Ali Edwards, um, who who ran the the game in 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 the, in the first match. The other the other player that the other opposition player I forever associate with the local derby is a chap called Jim Gillespie. Um, who you'll have to dig fairly deep, you know, to get the details of his playing career. Jim Jim was signed by the Rovers from East Stirling, um, and he he was not a successful signing. He was an outside left, tall, well built outside left, in the mould of John Hughes and Fred Aiken, but sadly not as accomplished uh, as them. And he was eventually freed mid-season. Uh, in 1969-70 and snapped up by Dunfermline. His debut was against the Rovers on New Year's Day and he ran riot. And uh, he scored, I think he scored twice and made made the other one. Um, And if Jim had shown that kind of form (laughs) when he was at Stats Park... (laughs) He certainly wouldn't have, wouldn't have got a free transfer, but I mean that was that was the sublime irony of and the unpredictability of football that day. He absolutely ran riot, and Dunfermline won won three nothing. Now, given the up and down nature of both clubs over the past decade, where you've both spent time in the third tier, um, do you prefer having the guaranteed derby matches every year, or do you find that there's a heightened importance when you're in different divisions and suddenly? You draw the pars in the cup or whatever. Uh, you can't have too many good fixtures. Uh, so derby, derbies are 
uh, are essential. And it was interesting listening to Charlie Adam last season when Dunfermline were going for promotion, saying that the, the fans want to play United. We need to be in the same division as United. And it's the same with, with, with the five teams, you know, local local derbies. I remember, I remember in the days when I was in, in football administration, then there was endless talk of league reconstruction at the time. And I always remember uh, sitting around a table and, and uh, with uh, uh, Rowan Dixon, the short-lived uh, Canadian owner of Dundee. And Rowan explained how it worked in North America with uh, hockey and, and things like that. And it was, um, you play best of three, and because everybody's interested in these games, you start going best of five, and then you go best of seven. You can't have too many fixtures to get the fans interested, and it's the same with derby games. Thanks to John for speaking to us. No matter whether you're a par, a rover, or a neutral, these games are rarely dull. Especially at East End Park, when there's the chance of semantics from Sammy the Tammy. Good luck to both sides from everyone at the Citizen. We hope you all enjoy the game. At the start of the podcast, we asked you if it was true or false that Wraith Rovers had spent more time in the top flight of Scottish football than Dunfermline Athletic. The answer is false. At the time of recording, Dunfermline have spent a total of 38 years in the top flight of Scottish football compared to Wraith, having spent 37 years in the top flight. In terms of competitive derby wins, Dunfermline also have the edge with 49 wins to the Rovers' 42 wins and 29 draws. Will Wraith claw some ground back on their rivals? Or will the Pars go on to make it 50 wins? Only time will tell. Thank you for listening to this edition of the Scottish Football Citizen. Subscribe to us on your favourite podcast platform so you never miss an episode. And join us again next week when we'll be looking back at more of the best of Scottish football from the past. If you'd like an extra football fix in your inbox every Tuesday, you can subscribe to Football Memories Scotland's weekly newsletter, The Football Special, and receive an email full of excellent pictures and stories from days gone by. To find out more, email lindsay at lindsay.hamilton at scottishfootballmuseum.org.uk The Scottish Football Citizen is written, edited and produced by Andy Kerr for Football Memories Scotland in association with Alzheimer's Scotland and the Scottish Football Museum. Additional contributions from Robert Harvey, Jim Orr, Lindsay Hamilton and Richard McBearty. Additional material from BBC Sports Scotland. Special thanks to Lorna Morton and John Lister for speaking to us.